Hello, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, leader of Parks Associates Smart Home Research Practice, and welcome to the Smart Tech Check podcast, where we cover all consumer tech topics that are smart home, home automation, security, console gaming, entertainment, and much, much more. Today is Tuesday, August 24th, 2021. Big week in tech, so we're going to uh, chat about a lot of different things today. On the roster for today's podcast are my usual partners in crime. That's Rob Pegarero, who writes for USA Today, Fast Company, and Wirecutter. Stuart Walpin, who writes for Twice and Techlicious. I just love that name. Uh, John Quain, our resident usual journalist who writes on technology for the New York Times and Tom's Guide, is, and I can't believe this, he's out test driving cars in Napa Valley. And I kid you not, I'm not making it up, that, but that's, that's his excuse. So we'll have to go with that. So I'm, uh, we're, I've asked uh, Liam uh, Gohan, uh, the Park Associates Research Analyst who covers the entertainment category for the firm, to join us. Gentlemen, good afternoon from Addison, Texas, where it's a scorching 96 degrees. But as my mom likes to say, it's a dry heat. How are all of you? Cool. What, yeah, what's the temperature in New York, by the way? Is it, is it, or was it, were you guys down in Washington? I guess you were in Washington. Yes, we are both in Washington, yes. Was, is, yeah. is the weather still, is it, you're still in that oppressive, humid? It's, oh, it's the uh, August weather I've gone, grown to know and love over the past three plus decades around our nation's capital. That's why <laughs> legislators leave in August. <laughs> <laughs> you know what the interesting thing is? Now that I've been in Dallas for some time, the uh, and I've been here for the last couple of weeks, it's very hot today, but it doesn't, you know, it feels hot, but it, there is not much humidity. It's not like Houston, where I used used to live years ago when I worked for Compaq, which was like going to Singapore. Um, but um, I, I commiserate with both of you gentlemen who, were in, who live in Washington, so I'm sorry about that. But got a lot of great topics to talk about. Let's tee up the first one. And that is the Park Associates Factoid of the Week. I'm going to turn this over to Liam, who's our entertainment aficionado to talk about this because there's some really interesting information that we just emailed um, the world. Uh, I believe we, uh, we sent this out yesterday. But Liam, let me let you uh, comment on this, and then I'd like to get Rob and Stuart to chime in. Um, I think this is you know definitely the direction that we expected uh, over-the-top video services to head. Uh, they, they've really just amped up their libraries, and now we're pretty much seeing that primarily online video content um, is is taking the the place of the theatrical viewing experience. You know, there's certainly been some some big box office hits over the summer, but uh, you know, a lot of them are simultaneously available on streaming services. Uh, Black Widow is the the number one movie at the domestic box office, and you can also get that on Disney Plus. So I think you know a lot of the habits that, that uh, consumers developed during the the pandemic are really just it really emphasized the trends that were already occurring um, within just a preference for video services. And we're, we've already seen so many services launch. Uh, we're seeing, you know, the return of a lot of the, these upcoming titles that uh, tend to spike viewership. And so I, I see the market getting even more, more crowded uh, moving forward, um, especially with like all the niche services launching as well. Um, I did. I do think it's interesting that um, we're seeing such a, a, a preference on um, uh, mobile viewing. 
Um, and it seems like a lot of the services are really developing uh, strategies in order to corner that mobile market. You know, we're, we're at, we actually just saw Netflix is uh, launching into gaming pretty soon, and they're going to start as a mobile only uh, doing mobile only gaming. And so uh, it'll be really interesting to see which devices um, and which device preferences develop as the services uh, subscription stack. Let's flash that graph up again, if you don't mind. Um, what's interesting to me, because of the four of us on the podcast today, three of us are in the mature and uh, boomers category. And Stuart's in the, I'm not going to disclose his age, but he's in that mature category, right? Am I right, Stuart? Senior citizen, thank you very much. No, <laughs> I'm joshing, but there's not a lot of de delta between boomers and mature. And if you kind of go to the other side of the extreme with the Zen G category, it, to me, it's remarkable how television, a platform that the, well, I'll say the three or four of us grew up with, you know, since the day we were born, how that's become, um, you know, decidedly unpopular with uh, younger folks. And this kind of wraps some numbers around that. So let me turn this over to Stuart, the, our resident uh, Mature person. No, I'm not. That's, that's, that's not fair. You're not in the mature category, right? I'm a, I'm a silverback. <laughs> <laughs> so, Stuart, what's your reaction to this data? Well, it's not surprising. And and the thing that, that strikes me, again, from a historical note, because I'm old, um, this is not the first challenge that film has had. Uh, if you go back to the early 1950s, the cinema world had to react to people wanting to stay home and watch the television. And they reacted to that by putting on big widescreen epics. And it's very eerily similar Cinemascope. to- Cinemascope. What's that? Cinemascope, remember Cinemascope? Cinemascope, exactly right, as well as Cinerama. And all of those early Cinerama widescreen motion pictures were of the sword and sandal variety. You know, the robe and Hercules and things like that. And they had, it wasn't until Ben Hurdy who actually had an intelligent sword and sandal movie. And there's a very similar thing happening today in that the films are at the top of the box office aren't exactly those deep dramas that you remember from motion pictures. All of a sudden, those are being played out on episode streaming uh, series as opposed to two or two and a half hour films. And those two or two and a half hour films that are serious subjects, for the most part, are playing in the art houses and then going straight to, um, to uh, streaming. So I think what's happening is the same thing to a similar extent what happened in the 50s, that the, the Hollywood reaction to streaming or television in the 50s is that they're putting on the most uh, lowest denominator fare to get people to go to the movies and reviewing, I'm sorry, reserving their serious content for other venues where they think a wider variety of people might have access to them without having to go to the theater. Now, whether or not Hollywood is going to be able to come up with something other than Jungle Cruise and <laughs> and, and things of this nature to draw, you know, uh, people back into the theaters other than kids, that remains to be seen. Right. Now, Rob, I, I know you, you've told me in the past that you're really a Zen, a Zen Z type of person, right? You're only about 19 years old. I, I am the right? token Gen Xer. It's it's nice to see that my generation has not been erased off this chart between the boomers <laughs> and the millennials like usual. Um, yeah, that doesn't really surprise me. I guess I personally, and I guess here I'm showing my age, I don't 
quite like I spent enough time looking at this thing. I don't want to watch any sort of long or even medium form video on it. Uh, certainly not the sort of stuff that I would be paying for on an OTT mm. service. Um, you know, tablet. Sure. That makes more sense. Smartphone. No, I'm not so sold on that. Well, what I would suggest, by the way, is that because um, I think you're right. I mean, for um, you know, content like a movie, which is a couple hours, although movies are getting shorter, but you know, long form forms of video entertainment, obviously, bigger, more real estate is a much more um, fulfilling experience. However, if you're watching live sports, or if you do what I did last night, you know, I went to a restaurant to eat, and I could not be, I could not be away from the Yankee game for 10 minutes. So I, you know, <laughs> summed up my MLB.com app. And by the way, guys, they won last night again. The Yankees won 10 in a row. Okay. I'm, I'm excited against a very good Atlanta team, by the way, away. Yeah, the Mets did not win their 10th game issue. in a row last night. Yeah. Well, hope springs eternal rough. But I, I, I we're, we're going to get into this. Uh, another very interesting topic, because I think it goes to what Stuart was saying is that, it's interesting how, um, well, actually, it's the next topic after this. It, it, it goes to uh, how, is, how is Hollywood reacting to these usage model um, changes with, with people? We're going to get into this in a second. But got to talk about this because, you know, it's, it's late August and the rumors are already out about iPhone 13, discussion about screens. Is there going to be fingerprint under glass, which is a hard thing to do? Are they going to get rid of the cutout? Is it going to be a bigger battery? Is it going to be a smaller battery? So I guess the question really is, and by the way, the rumors are even around, are even settling around announcement day. And what's always interesting to me about this is that the supply chain implications for iPhones are so humongous, it's hard to keep any of this under wraps. It's just impossible. Um, and they've, of course, they've, you know, they've really socialized the audience, their, their customer base in the last uh, uh, 12 or 13 years since the iPhone was announced that they have these kind of cyclical announcements and, and with a new form factor in, in the September timeframe. But let me start with uh, Stuart. Stuart, do, do you even think this is relevant or do you, I mean, I mean, do you, do you read a lot of this rumor stuff or do you just wait for the, uh, the big announcement and then you get, get kind of get serious about what they're doing? No, I, I, I've been looking at them for the last couple of months already because, I, you know, as soon as the new one comes out, they start talking about what the next one is going to be. <laughs> But I mean, there's they're talking they're talking about a smaller notch and a bigger battery, obviously, and all of these sorts of things, an AMOLED 120 hertz screen, and a couple of other other gizmos and gizmos. The thing that that strikes me about all of this that nobody has discussed, and I have I have no inside information on this. This is simply my speculation. But the nomenclature 13. Obviously, a lot of building engineers do not build 13th floors. And I'm really curious whether or not Apple is just going to skip 13. Go to 14. And, or <laughs> even to 15, since they're up to iOS 15 also. Why not match the iOS number with the phone number just to, to keep those straight? Uh, or keep it 14 since the, the, the popular uh, proposed announcement date is September 14. But I'm very curious about whether or not Apple will actually keep the 13 number as part of the nomenclature. Has right. nothing to do with anything, just, just making my head explode. Interesting. And the only thing I will say is that if you recall, I know both of you do know this, um, you know, Microsoft uh, has had challenges with, you know, with even number, really, uh, I'm sorry, with odd number, uh, not with even number releases. Uh, Windows 7 was a big hit. Windows 8 was pretty much a disaster. 
I forget what number Vista was, uh, but I, Vista obviously was not a um, was not a huge hit. But they try they try to ignore um, even numbers if they can. It's but like Star what, Trek movies. Uh, yeah, but, but even number Star that? Trek movies were good. <laughs> and odd ones were terrible. That's a kind of still a great movie. But, <laughs> but, but you know, the, the thing is, is that the OLED thing will be a big deal. I, I mean, I think that will be I don't think a lot of people know that when you have an OLED display, it really does, um, from a graphics resolution and from a clarity standpoint, it is a markedly better experience than a non-OLED uh, display. So I do think that's... Especially in the sunlight. Yes. Yes. So Liam, let me let me flip this over to you. Are you the kind of guy that gets online at uh, you know seven o'clock in the, not seven o'clock five o'clock in the morning and, and get online for a new iPhone, or are you not really that kind of kind of person? You know, I'm I'm definitely an iPhone person. Uh, I don't uh, catch the, the live stream every time, although it's always it's always an interesting um, display of showmanship. You know, that's something that. You know, obviously, Jobs was was so well known for was having these these elaborate presentations. So I look forward to that uh, that aspect of it. Um, I I managed to get a new phone recently, so I don't know if I'll I'll uh, sign up for the new version. The, the, that's that's very interesting about it being the thirteen. Uh, that is that is very eerie. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling the number will not impact sales. I could be wrong about that. But I don't think that's going to hold a lot of people. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll write this down. We've got uh, we've got Stuart on video uh, on videotape right now. Uh, Rob, video what are your thoughts? Are, are you out there online? Are you out going down there online getting a new iPhone 13? Or uh, no, I mean I I've basically written off the iPhone ever since they got rid of the headphone jack, and this thing still <laughs> takes its own proprietary connector. Um, so uh, what I was hoping to see in the iPhone 13 was to get rid of the Lightning cable, which adds no yes. value at all and just i mean just the other day my kid was like looking for a cable to recharge your ipad and i had to say no you can't use this one you got to use that one mm -hmm. direct your complaints to tim cook um that would be one pain point they could address and i guess they're not the other mm -hmm. one this whole issue of sticking with face id i don't know why apple's doing that it doesn't look like we're going to go back to never wearing masks in public and with face id they have an unlock solution that doesn't work with the mask on. Apple's solution is to buy an Apple Watch. That's an awful solution. That's insultingly bad. And you could just put the Touch ID button and the power button. They know how to do it on that last iPad Pro. So sticking to a past product decision because reversing it would look bad or that you know you, you want to sell the feature, not the problem it solves, that's questionable decision-making. I'm not so sold on that. As far as the number, I would say lean into it. Have the event on Monday, September 13th. Just go all out for it. Lucky 13. And ch challenge the gods of bad luck that Apple can overcome. <laughs> right. Yep. 13. That's that's an interesting thing. Yeah, have a black cat walk in front of Tim Cook. <laughs> in a black turtleneck. Yes. <laughs> I, I, will, I, will, I will send Tim an email uh, with that advice uh, after the podcast. Let's go to the next topic. Now, Stuart, this is actually a topic that I think is absolutely a, a terrific topic to talk about because very, very few people talk about how streaming, the streaming services has really impacted the creative process. And what I mean by that is that uh, let's just take a book, for example, where uh, if, if a, a book, books are typically very difficult, especially if it's a lengthy book, to do a full-blown motion picture because 
Motion pictures are generally two hours. You have to be very selective uh, in terms of content you, you, you bring out of a book. Uh, from a character development standpoint, sometimes you have to combine characters and many, many stories about, you know, screenwriters, especially if they were not the author of the book, had to make certain concessions. And you could say the same thing about TV series, episodic TV series, which, you know, that's the traditional model where content would come out every week. But streaming television and streaming uh, series really changed the dynamic around that because all of a sudden, if you tell a screenwriter or a writer, hey, you just don't have two hours, you have, I'm going to make a number up, 70 hours that you're going to blow out the entire season of a program in one full uh, full um, uh, strike. That the advantage to that is that if I'm a viewer watching that content, uh, you can really have lots and lots of character complexity. You can change the, 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 the process dramatically, the way you, you write and, and conjure up different events. And you could go into levels of detail that you could never have gone into in the old format, even series format where you have an episode every week. So let's talk a little bit about that because, you know, to your point, you know, uh, uh, Hulu and others, uh, and, and, and especially Apple, Apple hasn't followed that model. Well, this is, this has been a problem for every new media type that has come out since the age of media. When radio for, and, and the problem is, generally speaking, is that the meet new media tends to copy the old media until the new media companies realize they have something completely different. So for instance, radio started out with people reading newspapers. Television started out as being have, having radio shows filmed. The internet started out with taking print publications and simply slapping them online. And you have this throughout the history of new media. So in the age of streaming, you have some people like Netflix's and Amazon who throw all the programs on at one time. So you have the entire 8, 10, 13 episode series that you could binge as you like, which plays into what you were talking about, that character development. Instead of me watching a half hour or an hour and then forgetting about it until the next week, that's an advertising model. Right. That's because you want the people to come back to see new ads. You don't have that on streaming. So I want to go watch Ted Lasso season two. I'm not watching it until they're all posted because I don't want to watch a half an hour a week. That's dumb. I want to watch Reservoir Boys on Hulu. Not going to do it until they're all posted. I don't understand why these new media companies insist on using old media formats to present the material. Throw them out in one batch. I'm going to come back because I can't do them all in one sitting. And if you're a good online media uh, streaming service, you'll have new stuff for me to look at. Are you suggesting that a lot of this is motivated by advertising? I'm shocked. It is, it is on television. It is not streaming because there's no ads. I mean, in Hulu, to a certain extent, there may be ads. But putting, them, putting all your episodes, you know, depending upon what tier you buy, but if putting them all on does not stop you from looking at those ads on television, they want you to come back so you can look at new ads. But the streaming environment is completely different. And the benefit is, as opposed to broadcast, I can look at them all all at one time. I can watch them whenever I want. Streaming services are television. There's no reason to do episodic um, broadca broadcasts, releases. Now, Liam, you, you, you follow this closely at Parks. 
Um, this is a this is a big you know again we're, we're talking about it from a content and creator standpoint. What's your view of this uh, in terms of um, do you see the world morphing more dramatically toward this binge watching model where ultimately Stewart's going to get his wish and when a show uh, you know debuts during a season they just dump the entire um, season out there with 10, 15, 20 episodes that you can watch at your leisure, at your convenience, in a, in a very sequential manner? Or do you, feel, do you think the old TV model that Stuart described, you still think that hangs around? Uh, I, I do think that the old TV model will tend to hang around because you, what a lot of these services are wanting is they want prolonged uh, viewership and they want prolonged conversation. They don't want, uh, you know, for a lot of these high profile titles, uh, everybody to watch it over one weekend um, and then immediately cancel the service or cancel their trial in some in the cases of some services that have trials. You know, I think it's interesting that, you know, last summer Disney Plus dropped its free trials right before they released Hamilton. So even if you only wanted to subscribe to Disney Plus to watch Hamilton, uh, you, you'd still have to, to have, um, pay a brief subscription. But Disney Plus is kind of an interesting example because their library of originals is definitely not as vast as Netflix or Amazon, but they were able to hike so highly in the OTT market because they have these Marvel projects and these Lucasfilm projects that, you know, if you go on social media right after uh, those drop, you're going to get spoiled. And so they want people to watch immediately and they want to have them watch for eight episodes or 12 episodes or however many weeks that they um, um, that those those shows run, and then hopefully hook viewers into the other content uh, um, within their library. Yeah, I think you know Apple TV Plus is another interesting example where they have this very this relatively small library of fairly high uh, um, high, um, high value content. You know that their their shows are very acclaimed, like Ted Lasso and. You know, I want to watch it, but I don't want to pay, you know, uh, for Apple TV Plus for two months. So that's one that I can wait on. Um, but it, it, it will be interesting, I think. I, I think you're going to see a mix, a mix of both. So just finishing this question up with Rob. Rob, are you a big binge watcher yourself? And No, uh, honestly, it's the time to do that just escapes me. So I don't mind spaced out release strategies. I, I do agree Liam brings up an important point that when you have free trials and you have rate plans that, that are built to allow churn, to invite it, you know, there are no one-year contracts. So you can binge watch and then dump uh, whatever service it is and then sign up again. Um, so this is one way they can sort of buy down a little of that risk that somebody gets a free trial, watches everything they want to watch and then leaves. I want to not push back. I think that the streaming services, this is not a zero sum. And all it takes is a little bit of corporate imagination to realize how you can work both ends of those. You can offer a free trial and you can still post all the episodes. But if you're on a free trial, you only get to watch one or two. Right. This is not rocket science. Those of there is an increasing number of people who binge. I am a binger. I want to get my. I want to see. Foundation is coming up on Apple Plus. I don't want to wait four months for them to run all those episodes for me to start watching it. And even if you're not a binge, I can watch two at a time. 
I just think there is no, I don't think there's any reason for them not to, not to work this. Well, and, and from an advertising standpoint too, that, you know, they're not mutually exclusive. There's ways of doing the binge model with an advertising capability built into it. So you don't necessarily have to lose, if you're a content creator or, or a studio or, or a, um, uh, a streaming service, you don't have to lose that revenue, although it might irritate you. And by the way, Hulu Plus has, they have a, they have a plan for people with advertising, without advertising. So there's lots of, lots of ways this is kind of morphing. Let's go to the next question. This is my favorite. Uh, Rob, I, I, when you sent me this question, I had visions of Charles Grodin and uh, Robert De Niro and Midnight Run. And uh, I had crazy visions in my head of you driving up and down the, the uh, East Coast between Baltimore and uh, Atlanta. But let's talk about this wireless run that you took. Yeah, this is a very interesting freelance uh, bit of freelance work I did for PC Mag. Every year that site does their fastest mobile networks. Uh, report, which involves a lot of drive testing of the wireless carriers coverage and performance. And, you know, I've been citing this work for years and years, you know, in the guide to phone phone plans they do for Wirecutter, the, their work is a big thing we consider in picking what plans to recommend. So I thought, you know what, I, I actually want to like do some of this, get my hands dirty, do the drive testing myself. So uh, my part of the project was picking up a rental car, doing half of the Baltimore testing, in each city, we'd pick out 12 spots, the idea being to distribute them around the city, a variety of income levels, have at least one in a downtown, one in a university area, one in a shopping area. Uh, then drove from there, came back home to DC, spent a day driving around the district, drove from there to Raleigh, and they wanted us to not take the interstate. So I saw a lot of rural Virginia, North Carolina, <laughs> South Carolina, and Georgia. Uh, I definitely came home testing positive for sweet tea. <laughs> um, and from a Raleigh, it was a day driving around there, Chapel Hill, Durham, then drove to Charlotte, day driving around there, then drove to Atlanta, spent half the day driving around there, then handed the funds over to the next driver. And one thing I can tell you is drive testing is very meticulous. It's not just get a bunch of phones, turn them on, throw them in the passenger seat, hit the wheel, hit the road. Uh, it was two phones per carrier, one 5G and the other locked into 4G only mode. You'd have to stop uh, each stop 15 minutes, let the test software do its thing for, I think, 10 or 15 times in a row. And all that stuff gets uploaded. Somebody else has to crunch the number. So at least I'm not writing down upload and download speeds. And you're really babying this stuff, making sure the phones are charged, making sure they don't overheat. So mm -hmm. I had the AC crank to, to blow on these things all the time because they're running full tilt. Like they've, they've got some sort of special SIMs in them that cannot be throttled. So... These things were running up data usage totals in the hundreds of gigabytes. And so now, at the and, end, that, and, that, and that Baltimore Atlanta corridor is the executive summary that 5G was a, a good experience or was it not a good experience? Depended on the carrier. So uh, you, you can, as you can see now on PC Mag site uh, for the first year, T-Mobile was judged the fastest mobile network because their mid-band 5G is that good. And mm -hmm. I can confirm that. I, I know when I was, you know, I could look down on the screens of these phones and see what sort of speed test results the, the test software was getting. And in the middle of D.C. on Howard University's campus, it was something like 600 megs up, uh, 600 megs down, which you would think would be millimeter wave 5G. That was T-Mobile right. 5G. Verizon's 5G, the millimeter wave service they have, those frequencies cover such short distances. So it was very rarely, I can recall maybe two or three times I'd look on the screen of the Verizon phone and see it say 
uh, 5G UW, short for ultra wideband, their marketing mm -hmm. term for it. Uh, AT&T has a little millimeter wave, and I only saw that once or twice. Uh, and so the net result is T-Mobile, because they have these mid-band frequencies that cover more distance and allow more speed than the low band 5G everybody has, that gives them a competitive advantage right now. You know, assuming they have their mid-band frequencies lit up where you live, which is certainly the case in major cities. Uh, if you're driving like in and out of like Ashboro, North Carolina, not so much. Liam, just real quick, I, 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 you know, you know, and I'll just share a personal story. And I want to get Liam to uh, to uh, comment on it. Is that since I've been doing a lot of work down in the Dallas area, uh, the uh, 5G coverage actually in, in the Dallas area is actually quite good. Um, I specifically signed up for the, the hotspot service, which I would never do in San Jose because the the 5G service is very poor. You really have to go up to San Francisco to get reasonably good 5G service. And it really is a game changer, you know, I mean, in terms of having really, really good um, 5G coverage, at least in the, in the in, you know, Dallas is a relatively big area. I'm out here in Odyssey, which is about 10 miles outside of downtown Dallas. But Liam, just from a 5G standpoint, um, is it something that, you know, that you think that from an entertainment experience is going to change the game? down the road. I mean, not right. I mean, we saw rollout issues and, but purely from an entertainment standpoint, just give us a quick 30 seconds of where you think how 5G is going to have, uh, have in impact on, on 5G related entertainment. Um, I think that it's going to go back to that, uh, to that first chart that you pulled up and it, uh, when it really comes down to uh, what's the preferred method of usage um, because we're, you know, um, there's a there's definitely a rise in uh, um, mobile only content, you know, but there's also we've we've seen some some failures with that. You know, last year Quibi was marketed as this mobile only streaming service uh, and completely bombed, and now Quibi content is on Roku, which which is a TV, um, and so. Uh, and now it's it's performing quite well on there, and, but, and Roku continues to to expand on those. So I'll, it'll be interesting to see which uh, uh, how how device preferences impacts five uh, G. Interesting, Stuart. Well, it's funny. I I sort of did a test like uh, Rob did, completely accidental and with one carrier. I mm -hmm. took the Acela down to DC from New York. And I didn't even bother trying the Acela Wi-Fi because the Acela Wi-Fi, at least from my house, <laughs> is awful. So I just stuck with 5G and I watched TV through my sling box through most of the way down to DC. And I there was a couple of buffering, you know, uh, uh, maybe a dozen or so buffers. And I lost the signal in tunnels for the most part. But otherwise, I was shocked that I had such a good TV viewing experience on the Acela, which is, which is traveling at, you know, I don't know, a hundred miles an hour. Um, so I was very surprised. I thought that the speed would defeat the signal, especially going through so many in and out areas, but it managed, um, T-Mobile managed to maintain a very surprisingly solid, certainly surprising to me, solid connection from New York to DC. The punchline is I get to my hotel, which is in a nice part of town, as Rob will tell you. And the hotel, I could only get LTE connection in my hotel room, which I thought was fairly odd. Um, but 
it's funny talking about all this 5G and all the email I'm getting on, on wireless services is all about 6G. <laughs> and, and Netflix is talking about doing gaming, but they're going to have a latency problem with 5G. And I think they're going to need 6G in order to cut down on the latency issues that they are going to have because gamers really require instant yeah. kind of stuff. And I don't think the 5G network is going to be satisfying for that. Well, it's interesting stuff, and I can confirm your experience because in my hotel, in my hotel, my the lovely Marriott that I'm staying at, um, I'm, I don't think I'll ever use the uh, the, the uh, in hotel Wi-Fi service. First of all, they want you to pay for you know you get a baseline service, and they want you to up pay a daily charge to upgrade to what is still very very slow internet speed. But 5G, I think, is where the world is going, and uh, it sounds like everybody had a relatively positive experience, not just on the way to Baltimore to Atlanta. But more on this to come. Let, let's hit this one last topic because this is really intriguing to me. No, I don't. I, I'm assuming that all three of you watched this, but Bill really did a job on Apple um, last Friday. Uh, he uh, it, it's, a, it's an eight or nine minute um, diatribe, and you know the media is kind of glossing on the uh, changes that are coming up in iOS 15 on the. Uh, the snooping, he, the phrase that he used of, of uh, you know, images on your phone uh, for um, uh, child, um, uh, illegal child porn, pornography material. And uh, he was being a little bit unkind because it really not scanning the photos without getting into the whole technical discussion about that. It's about images that have been identified as illegal and objectionable and there's a code associated with it. And we had that discussion a, a couple of weeks ago, but it really went after what I was surprised at the whole uh, what the, uh, the the smartphone concept has wrought on society uh, that it really essentially makes phones um, makes people bullies because of the the anonymous factor it makes them more willing to do things that they would never do if they had to be identified with doing a particular type of thing in terms of putting something online or being associated with it. So, Stuart, I, I know you want to you, you want to bite your teeth into this topic, so to speak. So, what what did you watch the clip? And do you I did. It? I I didn't watch the clip. I saw the show. I am I watch the show every week. Um, I don't say I agree with him all the time. He can be a bit bombastic, yeah. and his vaccine stand is idiotic. Um, but um, <laughs> he, he was. I thought he was pretty dead on with the phones. I mean, I've always thought technology was like anything else on a bell curve. And, you know, it starts off really good and it gets to the peak and then all of a sudden it becomes misused. And that's usually where the government steps in and starts doing regulation. This has been true throughout the history of technology for the last 125 years. Um, and unfortunately the government hasn't gotten around to the equally bombastic tech companies and they're beginning, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And when you give this, Tech companies like this so much power, they can either ignore the government or do whatever they want. On the Apple side, peeking into phones, they think that they could do that. And on the Facebook side, just disregarding the government, whatever, to just put up false information about vaccines and not pay a penalty for that. So it, it works, and I think, in all directions. And the only thing to do is haul Judge Green out of wherever he's, you know, laid to rest and break up one of these companies like he did AT&T in the early 80s. Um, I think these companies have just gotten just big enough to the point where I think the government just needs to do something as they have throughout history. So Liam, before we end it with Rob, let me get your reactions. Did you get a chance to watch the clip? 
I guess I definitely don't always agree with Bill Maher, but he generally has a, a fairly interesting perspective. And it was uh, it was interesting seeing seeing how he delved into this topic of just uh, social culture as it surrounds iPhone use and having that that instant reaction. And you would say things on iPhones that uh, you would never say in real life. And you also have the ability to in, instead of disagree with somebody and talk to them frankly uh you just walk away or you just uh you know ghost them as he as he calls it um and so uh i i, I think I'm, I'm with Stuart. i think that you know the, these tech companies have so much power um and so there, there, there has to be there has to be a line yeah well it you know, you know, it's, 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 I, want to, I want to get Rob's um, perspective before we end this, but my my um, my perspective on this is that you know it's easy to blame everything on technology. Uh, well, you know, technology has done all these corrupting things to people, but I also believe there's a lot of personal responsibility that has to go that has to go into the equation. If families, if individuals don't take personal responsibility for how they use these devices. I mean, I don't want to turn this into it's not guns that kill people. It's people that kill people. I mean, that Stuart's smiling at that. But the reality is, you know, families, parents, individuals have to do a much better job of using this technology because it's, it's, it's the most powerful electronic device on the planet. I, I, I'm not even sure Steve Jobs had any contemplation in his wildest dreams that this device would be so game changing in terms of changing the fabric of the way we interact with people. Uh, in many ways, it's made society much more polarizing, you know, and that, which I think bothers a lot of people. But I think there's a level of personal responsibility that people have to face up to. So with that, let me just leave uh, Rob with the closing comments on this. So I did not see the clip, but as a professional Twitter user, I will not let that stop me from having an opinion. Um, <laughs> but was he really saying that this is somehow Apple's doing when Every other phone has the same basic feature set, a camera, the ability to run apps, internet connection, because, you know, if Windows phone had triumphed, you would have people running the Twitter app on that and being jerks. And, and yeah, you know, yes, the fact that you can be online at any point and express a value judgment can lead to bad outcomes. On the other hand, it can also let you document a lot of abuses that otherwise no one would have seen about, Right. Um, you know. There are norms we got to figure out. Certain people just don't understand. You know, every kid's got to be taught the difference between inside voice and outside voice. But the idea that this is somehow Apple's fault, come on, get out of here. Uh, that's ridiculous. And, and uh, Rob, I assume you'll be appearing at the Apple smartphone announcement. <laughs> they have not invited me so long. <laughs> I don't even know solution to the entire Apple Corporation. But anyway, with Rob, Liam, uh, and Stuart, thank you for taking the time to join me for today's podcast. For our viewing and listening audience, please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe buttons on the YouTube and Apple podcast uh, platforms. And please visit Park Associates at www.parkassociates.com. And until next time, have a great week. That's good, guys. Hi. All right. That was very, very good. Very entertaining. Great job, Liam. Oh, Stuart, thank you for inviting me.